Well, as, uh, as Paul mentioned, we, we definitely, uh, as part of the life in our church, we are, we are uh, really uh, concerned and, and passionate and desirous of reaching out and, uh, and, and taking the love of Christ outside the walls. And that happens in lots of different ways, as you've already heard. And, and another way that's happening uh, coming up in August, uh, some of you are part of that team and some of you have heard about the team that is headed to Alaska. And that team will be uh, basically serving uh, the missionaries of Sin North by providing uh, all of the programming for their conference that will be taking place during that time. And so uh, we just want to uh, make you aware of, of just being really uh, prayerful about supporting them. Uh, there, is, there are at the uh, Welcome Center right behind you in the lobby that's right behind you, there are some little like uh, little rubber bracelets that you can uh, take one and it'll remind you to, to be praying for them. There's a prayer letter there for you uh, also if you could pick up. And we also want to make you aware that as, as the team, uh, there's a, a group of people from Calvary as well as from Solid Rock Church in Plymouth and uh, there it exists today. Uh, not a huge shortfall, but still a little bit of a financial shortfall, uh, $1,500, $1,600 for the entire team. And uh, if you, if God would just lay that on your heart, if you would be interested in investing in that team as they serve uh, the missionaries of Send North in Alaska here in August, uh, all the details for that are on that prayer letter. So feel free, no pressure, but check that out. And if, uh, if that's something the Lord would have you to do, then you can follow those instructions. But pick up one of these two uh, so that you can be uh, praying for that team. Well, we are in uh, this series called Vitals uh, during the uh, summer months. And it's basically an, an eight-week series that's taking four topics and uh, giving a couple of weeks to uh, dedication to each of those topics. We began two weeks ago with a passage from Galatians 4.19 where Paul said, to his children in the faith, not his literal children, but his children in the faith, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. And that, that idea of Christ being formed in these believers, this idea of spiritual formation is what we looked at. And we also then followed up last week by looking at a passage from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where we saw that, that God's desire for us is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. So if you think about it, both those, those words are kind of sister words. One's the root of the other. So as Christ is formed in us, we are then transformed. We are changed. We are people who become different people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so last week at the near, at kind of the last half of the talk, we took a look at, took a look at uh, some practical spiritual disciplines uh, I commended to, to you a resource known as Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, but we looked at things like fasting and meditation and prayer and solitude and submission, all those kind of classical spiritual disciplines that really help us to be formed into the image of Christ. So continue to think about that and, and engage with that, you know, uh, throughout these, these months to come as God brings that to your, to your mind. We're transitioning, though, today uh, to spend two weeks on marriage and family. Uh, we're going to be talking about marriage and family for the next couple of weeks. And this morning, we're going to begin by looking at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 5. And the governing command for this section in Ephesians 5 is found in uh, verse 18. 
and you can look at, at that in your device or, or if you want or, or in a Bible. But basically, the, the point of that verse is that we are to be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to things that are unpleasing to God. But instead, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Paul said that basically being filled with the Holy Spirit would have kind of like four, uh, if you will, resulting behaviors, four kind of consequences, four outcomes, if you will. And, that, and you can see those in verse 21 of that passage, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 19 and 20, my fault. He says there, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Sing and make music to your heart, in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul, again, this kind of governing command, this kind of central directive is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, as a result of that, as the Holy Spirit fills you, as we're, again, formed more into the image of Christ, as we are transformed, living less in the flesh, do not drink, get drunk with, be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. As that happens, then things will occur in our lives. The first thing he says is we will be having community with one another. He says that we'll speak to one another. So it's not just, you know, kind of in a vacuum, but instead there's this idea of we're celebrating community. We're, and we've talked about that even recently, about the idea of koinonia, of, of community. There's also worship, right? There's worship. You, we, are, we speak to one another in, uh, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. So worship and community are both resulting behaviors of someone who is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Third, it is gratitude, right? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last of those four resulting behaviors from someone who is being filled with the Holy Spirit, at least in this section, is that there would be submission. And Paul calls in, in Ephesians 5.21 for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what will happen then is Paul's going to take that command of mutual submission, this command that he's, this, this exhortation that he makes, which is the last of those four behaviors of someone who's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to take that command of mutual submission, and it's going to become the foundation for three sets of relationships in the rest of chapter 5 and leaking into uh, chapter 6 through verse 9. Those three sets of relationships are wives and husbands, children and parents, and then bond servants and their masters. And, to, and so today, what I'd like to, to look at w with you is what is the result of this idea of submission as it relates to the first set of relationships, with it, which is husbands and wives. Well, that word submission is a pretty powerful word. It means uh, hupotasso is the, is the Greek term, and it means to arrange under or to subordinate. This is like the biblical usage, the way in which we understand it the way in, when it's uh, used in our Bibles. To subject oneself or to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice, or to be subject. So makes, it, you can see how that flows. Uh, with, with the idea of submission. It actually, in its original usage, it was a Greek military term. The military term meant simply to arrange in divisions 
in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So the non-military use of this term meant that it was that we would uh, basically, someone would have, in a sense, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. That was the non-military understanding of the, of the word hupotasso. The, the, the original use was this idea of basically you're arranging yourself in a, in a fashion under the command of a leader. And so when you think about those, those, uh, those, that the use for us, which would be the non-military use, this voluntary attitude, and you think about what, what it's describing then, what kind of attitude it's describing, someone who's willing to give in, Someone who's willing to cooperate, assume responsibility, and carry a burden. So when we see this command from Paul, which is, again, one of the four behaviors that will come in the life of a person who is, is being filled with the Holy Spirit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and you understand that means I have an attitude voluntarily where I'm giving in to you. I'm cooperating with you. I'm assuming responsibility in the context of our relationship, and I'm carrying a burden along with you. Then that opens up this this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and the way it impacts the relationship of a wife and a husband, the way it impacts the relationship of parents and their children, as well as bondservants and their masters. It really allows us to really have a, a, a wonderful, deep and rich understanding of what those relationships by God's design are actually supposed to look like. So this morning, we're going to take in the first of those two relationships and focus on one person in that relationship. We're going to look at what does a spirit-filled husband look like? What does that spirit-filled husband who is at growing in his relationship with Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and understanding the, the power of submission in, in, in my relationship, what does that look like for me to live that out in an everyday manner? Now, I know whenever we do a, a, a talk on something like this, I, I just want to mention two things specifically. I know that some of you sitting here today are not husbands. I understand that. Some of you are women. Some of you are unmarried men. Some of you are too young to be married. Some of you have chosen to be single or you just haven't found the right person yet. I get that. So I understand that when we take a topic like this, there is a sense in which a part of the room is like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do for the next 25 minutes? I get it. But I would just encourage you to be, number one, you could pray for me as we talk, right? As I talk. Number two, you could pray for men who are husbands or men who might become husbands. And that's one of, one of the things I want to say, too, to those of you who are not husbands but may be husbands someday in the future. And some of you may be single today and single forever. That's, that's, a, that's a possibility, and that's not, that's not a terrible thing. But if someday you desire to be a husband, I would just encourage you to listen to this, to, to hear what God's call is again on the life of that individual. The second big thing I want to say about that, so again, I'm acknowledging the, the, the aspect that this doesn't apply to every single person in the room. But secondly, I would say to you, I, I want you to say this, guys, this is from me to you, this is from Dave to every guy in here who, who is a husband who's going to be hearing these words. I in no way, in no way, in no way, say it with me, in no way, stand before you as somebody who has arrived. I am much, 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 much in process in this 
idea of being a spirit-filled husband. I recognize that I come up short daily. And by the grace of God, I want to grow in that. I want to grow along with you. We can help each other to grow in this. But I in no way want you to hear me as standing up here as the model of perfection for the spirit-filled husband. But Scripture, nonetheless, gives us this call, right? And so that's what we want to do for the next few minutes is take a look at what that kind of husband looks like, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift that marriage is to, uh, to us, <laughs> to those of us who are married and to those of us who have been married and who may someday be married. And we know, God, that it is a, it, it's, a, it's such a precious gift. And as husbands, God, we, we desire um, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of at times our, our yielding to our own carnality and selfishness, God, we desire to hear your word and to live up to the challenge that you have for us as men who are filled with your spirit and live in this reality of marriage uh, in a different way because of what you're doing in our lives from the inside out. So guide us, teach us. We pray all of these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing that we see about spirit-filled husbands is that there is a simple call to love. Paul begins that passage, as you can see in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Now, when we think about that, of course, you know, one, in one respect, it seems like that there's that, well, obviously, that's so normative and so expected to say husbands love your wives. And yet, because of, because of the way in which we oftentimes grow up seeing what love is or what love isn't, and also our tendency to equate love with almost an emotional sort of you know, um, and, and love does touch our emotions, absolutely does. There's a huge emotional feeling component to love. But guys, I would just encourage you to, instead of seeing love primarily as an emotion, remember that love is a commitment. Love is a decision. I liked, I think I've shared with you before, uh, the pastor of the church that Eli, my son, attends, uh, has been part of out, out in the Milwaukee area. Uh, the, and I'm going to just kind of paraphrase it, but the, the senior pastor there, Pat Mulcahy, says love is basically prioritizing and seeking the best for someone else, someone other than yourself, even at your own expense. Husbands, love your wives. So that idea of love is about commitment. It's about decision. It's about, it's a, it's about a, a priority where that person becomes something where you are willing to, even at your own expense, want the best for her. Want what she needs. Provide that which she needs. So you're not looking at it, in, again, from your own perspective. You're not loving her the way that you would want to be loved, but you're loving her the way in which you know she needs to be loved. Husbands, love your wives. It's interesting that in Paul's day, there was a sense in which the marriage, marriage bond was actually somewhat less than meaningful. You see, in Paul's day, wives had very little value. 
It's very unfortunate and it's very uh, wrong. But wives had very very little value. And, And sometimes it was very common in Paul's day for husbands to have multiple relationships with with um, persons of the opposite sex apart from their wives. So Paul's directions to the husbands and wives was utterly radical here. And we here see Paul calling for a covenant renewal of our marriage vows to say, I love you. And if I, uh, if I say that I love you, then there will be a certain way of behaviors and which, way in which that love will share, be shared from me to you. And so that brings us kind of to that second aspect of what Paul's going to say in this passage. So we have the call to love or the charge to love. Husbands, love your your wives. And then we have the way of love. What does this look like? Well, first, probably the biggest challenge of this entire passage is when he says the way of love is sacrificial. You love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That standard of love, in a way, has always at times somewhat like, but by the grace of God, it's, I, I, at times it's felt like a cloud that's kind of hovered over my head that, that reminded me of everything that I wasn't doing. And I understand that, guys. I understand when you see those words, you're like, wait a second. I love my wife as Christ loved the church. That is so, he loves the church perfectly. He died for the church. He, everything he did was so that the church could experience the grace of God. And I recognize that incredibly high calling. But it also should remind us then of the value of the relationship. And that's what Paul again is trying to do. In a day in which marriage had become somewhat less than meaningful, he's saying marriage, your relationship with your wife is so meaningful. I'm going to compare it to the greatest thing that has ever happened for any of us. Christ loved us. So when you see your wife, I want you to be reminded of the passionate love that Christ has for you. And he's willing to sacrifice everything, his very life, so that you could experience life with him. It's a powerful call. And I, I know in one sense it can almost feel like something that's, that's, that's unachievable. But at the same time, by the power, remember what, remember what that, the directive was, Right? Be filled with the Spirit. This is not something that you will do in your flesh on your own. You will not do, live in this manner. I cannot live in this manner. No, no husband can live in the, in the manner of living sacrificial love for their wife if they're not being filled with the Spirit. So as we are filled with the Spirit, what happens is as we feast on the Spirit, as we feast on His Word, as we're in, in genuine, authentic community with other brothers and sisters, God changes us. That spiritual transformation, we're changed and we're changed more. And all of a sudden, it's not that we're trying to do this, but God, by the presence of His Holy Spirit in our life, is living it out in us as we grow more deep in our relationship with Him. So don't see this as that cloud that's hover, cloud of guilt that's hovering over you. But instead, feast on him, observe and obey his command to be filled with the Holy Spirit and see how, as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to live this life of love through you rather than you trying to do it with your own ambition. Secondly, the way of love is effectual. Effectual. 
It says that in, in, in this type of love, that, and describing the love that Christ had, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. The word effectual is, and you may not use that too often, but it simply means successful in producing a desired or intended result. So the love of Christ was effectual in producing the result of making the church holy. Here's the challenge for us then. What, what, what is Paul saying there? What is the effect that your love is having on your wife? Is it producing the desired result? Some people have said this. Is the fact that your wife is married to you cause, causing her to want to grow closer and deeper in her relationship with Christ? Or if she's passionate about her faith, is it more in spite of you rather than because of you? Love, the type of love that Jesus has called, the manner in which we're called to love our wives, is effectual, meaning in the same way that Christ loved the church and made her holy through his love, then we have an effect on our wives. Is it one that is producing the desired result that you would become more like Jesus in the same way, the same, the same thing that he wants for you, or is it not? The way of love is sacrificial. The way of love is effectual. The way of love is also caring. That's the third, that's the third point under that way of love. The way of love is caring. Check out in your notes, uh, verse 28. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. To care for someone, to live a caring lifestyle. There's a very key thing that I have to understand. If I'm going to be caring to Amy, I'm going to have to understand, and for you to be caring for your wife, guys, I'm going to have to understand what her needs are, and you're going to have to understand what the needs of your wife are. Caring is also always something that is very personalized. Not just this generic again, yes, I love you. Yes, I care for you. Yes, I'm caring for you. But when you think about the wide range of needs that each of us have, of course, there are things of needs for intimacy and there are needs for emotional connection. There, of course, are financial and physical needs and provision. I get all of that. So it's not only one or, one or two of them, but it's understanding that individual as a person, understanding your wife as a person, and how is it that she needs me to care for her? Because all of us know how to care for ourselves. We may not do that, right? No one ever hates his own flesh, but he provides and care for, cares for it. Now, we, we sometimes maybe, you know, we don't take care of ourselves too well. I get that. You know, we, 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 whatever, in whatever respect we're talking about, maybe we, you know, we, we eat too much or we drink too much or we don't work out enough or, or we go outside without sunscreen on. I get that aspect. But we know what we need. I know what I need. I know myself. And most of the time, I care for myself, right? I, 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 it's, I don't sacrifice myself. So when, he, when Paul says, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, well, in the same way that you care for yourself and you know what you need and you provide for yourself what you need, do the same thing for your wife. Care for her in the manner you would care for yourself. 
love her in the manner that Christ loved the church. So much so that it has the effect of producing spiritual growth in her life in the same way that the church is made holy by the love of Christ. So too, your wife can be spiritually, your, your relationship with her can be a spiritual encouragement, a spiritual blessing, a spiritual value add to her as you love her. The fourth aspect of the way of love, way of love is, of course, again, reminding sacrificial, effectual, caring. The last aspect of this love is the way of love as demonstrated from a husband and wife is unbreakable. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Unbreakable. Shatterproof. Resilient. Permanent, at least for this life. This life on earth. Many of you, when you took the, made the decision, made the commitment, took the vows, stood somewhere in a wedding venue or in a church or in someone's backyard or at, at a justice of the peace or wherever you might have gotten married, there might have been something in that ceremony that was, and probably for most of you, there was something in that ceremony, whether it had been, was super brief or super long, where it was, till death parts us. Love, the way of love, the way of love for a spirit-filled husband is that he sees that relationship as permanent, unbreakable, shatterproof, resilient. It will last. That's an orientation which says, and I, and I understand, and by the way, I, I understand there, is, uh, there are things that happen in relationships. I get that. I, I feel terrible, and I've, I've well, been, been uh, and, and Amy and I's relationship has not been perfect, but I understand that there have been times in which in a marriage relationship, whether abuse or infidelity or neglect, there's multiple reasons where uh, the, the tragedy of divorce occurs, and I, and I understand that. But I do also at the same time understand that God's design Right? His design is that our primary focus and orientation on the way in which this love relationship is going to be is that it's going to be two people becoming one permanently until death parts them. Right? It's unbreakable. And so when I have that orientation, when I understand that the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Yeah, I love my wife. I tell her I love her all the time. I send her little lovey faces emojis and... Am I sacrificial? Is my love having a positive spiritual impact on her? Effectual. Do I care? Do I know what she needs and do I care enough about her to provide for those things? And do I see our relationship as unbreakable? That's the way of love. The model for love he, uh, Paul, goes, is, is, the, is the last aspect of this as we wrap up today. 
And, the mo- and uh, regarding the model, Paul, of course, refers to the person of Jesus in verse 32 when he says, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so when, he, when he's talking in here, he's going back and forth between Christ and the church and the, the mystery of what it means to, to experience Christ and his salvation as well as at the same time experience that type of love in the marital relationship. He's comparing it to, as he's done throughout this passage already, he's comparing it to the life of of Jesus Christ. So the model for love is always this, that what Christ has demonstrated in his love for the church. That's why the very first thing he says is, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He refers to that again, that sanctifying work of Christ that happens, and he compares that to the impact that a husband can have on, on his wife. And then he wraps that up by reminding us of the model for love, which is about the love that Christ has for the church. And to finish this passage, Paul says, well, and by the way, just in case you missed it, the other three times that I've already talked about it in this passage, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. Stressing that, again, biblical understanding of what love is. Sometimes, and, and it's not wrong that we do that, so a lot of times in, in uh, marriage ceremonies, there will be a reference to first, a reading of 1 Corinthians 13, which is oftentimes referred to as the love chapter. It's not really, in its original context, designed to be the, the, the marriage sort of uh, passage. It's really more about the way in which we relate in the family of God. But it certainly is, provides a wealth of information for us especially as husbands, to say, when I look at myself and I see, uh, when I say again that I love my wife, is my love for my wife measuring, uh, you know, kind of matching up to what the call of Scripture is from that passage in 1 Corinthians 13? And so as we're wrapping up today, as we think about this idea of the charge to love, the way of love, the model for love, which is Christ. So think about just all those different aspects that that God has challenged us with, guys, over these last few minutes. I just want to read to you and just don't even ask you to turn to it. You can if you want. But I just want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to think as as I'm hearing, as you're hearing this, is this describing the kind of love that I have for my wife? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. The power of love. And then Paul begins to define it. Love is patient. Kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Unbreakable, shatterproof, permanent, resilient, 
Love never fails. Guys, like I said before, we're all in process on this. And this idea of a spirit-filled husband is a high calling. And I recognize again that in one way you could leave and you could feel kind of like what I described as this thing is like a black cloud hanging over your head, you know, just reminding you of how much of a failure you are. That's not what this is about. This is about us embracing the, the, the call that God has on our lives to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that we can live a, a, not a natural in a natural way as a husband, but we live a supernatural life. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need good resources. We need prayer. We need support. And at the same time, what we don't need is we don't need to shrink back from the challenge. Let's embrace it together. Are we going to get there and be, are we going to be the perfect husbands? Probably not. We're not going to be the perfect example, but we can be a living example. We're not going to be the perfect, a perfect husband, but we can be one who is growing in his faith as we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to love our wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One resource that we want to make you aware of that you can pick up actually today is a book by Mark Batterson. Some of you have heard of him. Uh, It's called Play the Man. The subtitle is Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. There are 30 copies of this on the table in the lobby, and they cost nothing. (laughs) They're free. They're our gift as a resource to you. Of course, I would encourage you, if you do take a copy, we would love for you to read it, not just take it. So, uh, at the same time that we offer these, um, now these are first come, first served. There's 30 copies. Um, so, you know, you make your way to the table. I think Rich, uh, you're going to be at the table. Rich, Rich is going to be at the table. If you have any questions, there's also a sign-up sheet there. If you would possibly be interested in uh, a one-night, one-time kind of like discussion group, uh, just a men-only discussion group that would be focused on the contents of this book, then you can provide your name and email address at that sign-up sheet. Um, and if you, if you think, well, I'm not sure if I can make it, go ahead and sign up. We'll get you the dates, and if it fits, great. If not, but we certainly want to encourage you, if you so desire, uh, to pick up the, one of those 30 copies of Play the Man on your way out into your cars today, okay? Worship team is going to lead us in uh, a couple of songs in closing. And uh, as always, I, or not maybe always, but as I frequently uh, remind uh, you guys, uh, if there will be ways, questions that you have, if there's ways in which I could help come alongside you as a, as a husband and uh, in, in, in encourage you and support you, pray for you, and offer any sort of counsel I can, don't forget my email address is listed there on the back of the program every week. And you, you can always reach out to me or one of our other, other staff members or the elders. We loved and we see that as an opportunity and a privilege to support you in your walk as a husband. Why don't you stand with me? Where's the team's about ready to lead us? So before they do that, let me pray. Thanks, God, for the challenge that you've given us. But we thank you, too, that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. This isn't something that we do on our own. You gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit. We're filled with that as your followers. 
You gave us the gift of community. We have an incredible resource of wonderful brothers and sisters that can help us grow in our relationship with you and specifically in our, in our, um, uh, our role as husbands. You've given us your word. And God, I pray that we wouldn't shrink back from the challenge, but that we would lean into it, understanding that, yes, that we will fail, but that we would lean into it and watch you grow us more and more into the men that you desire for us to be and that our wives need us to be. All for your glory. In the great name of Jesus, the one who saves us. Amen.